0: The best way to predict your future is to create it. Abraham Lincoln. Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, where we bridge the gap between theory and practice with strategies, tools, and ideas we can all use immediately applied to the most current brain research to heighten productivity in our schools, sports environments, and modern workplaces. I'm Andrea Samadhi and launched this podcast to share how important an understanding of our brain is for our everyday life and results. My vision is to bring the experts to you, share their research, books, ideas, and resources to help you to implement their proven strategies, whether you're a teacher working in the classroom or in the corporate environment. For today's episode number 254, we'll be speaking with Ryan Brady an avid public speaker who's put into practice many of the concepts that we've covered on this podcast. Ryan went from having a traumatic brain injury when he was a teen to relearning how to walk and talk. What caught my eye with Ryan's story is that as a young man, he was able to see the positive side of his brain injury that occurred when his car went over an 80-foot cliff, flipped six times, breaking his neck, back, Wristed collarbone. This resulted in a traumatic brain injury. Where listeners to this podcast would understand the horrific impacts of this injury to his brain on his learning, memory, and his ability to function in the world. But what he did while recovering is mind blowing. He studied, learned, and then created a company, Digital Protege, that creates mobile apps for businesses. And he took his company to seven figures of revenue in seven months. His story is a true story of resilience in the business world, and you can hear it for yourself with his TED talk that I really think everyone on the planet should listen to. I'm personally excited to speak with Ryan as I began interviewing young entrepreneurs back in 2012, years before launching this podcast, when I ran something called the Teen Performance Magazine, And hearing Ryan's story took me back to many of those young leaders that I interviewed when I was first launching this magazine, hoping to inspire our next generation of entrepreneurs with these interviews. This idea didn't take off as well as we'd hoped, but it was a valuable experience to learn from some of the youngest leaders and most brilliant minds I've ever come across, many who I've kept in touch with or watched their results skyrocket over the years. Let's meet Ryan Brady, and see what we can learn from this entrepreneur about mindset, vision, and brain health for a refreshing new perspective on life, something I think we could all use today. Welcome, Ryan Brady. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. What part of the world are you in right now?
1: Thanks for having me, Andrea. I am so I'm from the Bay Area, but I'm in Madrid, Spain at the moment.
0: Got it. I thought you might have been somewhere international. Right. And so Ryan, this is this is a thrill for me. And and you know, we were just kind of Meeting each other and getting caught up, but your whole story brought me back to when I used to run a magazine to inspire our next generation to be entrepreneurs. So this whole interview really touches me to the core. So I'm very grateful to have met you, and I've got a ton of questions for you. So thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I, I love having conversations like this, and you know, you never really know where they can go, and that's kind of the magic of all these kinds of conversations. So. let's do this.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm going to get right into the fact that I'm always looking for new perspectives on this podcast. And I hadn't even listened to your TED Talk. And I got an email, you know, that comes in, a lot of people are sending me emails, you know, I've got this great person to come on your podcast and, and your team sent me a message. And I looked at you, and I thought, wow, young entrepreneur tech, and then your story was amazing. But I hadn't even seen the whole TBI part that took everything to a whole new level. Can we begin with who you were before your car flew off? Is it an 88 foot cliff?
1: An 80 foot cliff. Yeah, cars don't fly. More of a, a fast roll. Let's let's put it out. Um, before I would say I was I was motivated, but for the wrong reasons. Um, I was I had grown up. I was born and raised in a very tight bubble. It was you do as you're told. You get good grades. You'll get better grades. You get a good GPA. You'll go to a good college. You'll study a good major. You'll get a good job. It'll pay you good money. One day you'll you'll buy a house. You'll you'll buy a car. Or lease a car. You'll meet a wife. You'll have kids. Like the typical. What I came to learn was the rat race, um, and I, I was on that path before, before that cliff. Um, I always think of it was a big slap in the face. It was, I was getting distracted with partying and those kinds of things. The beginning of senior year, of course, um, in the summer after junior year of high school. And it was most definitely the slap in the face. I needed to just take some personal accountability for my life. That was an accountability that I honestly didn't have before. So to answer your question, it was, um, motivated but for the wrong reasons and starting to drift off a good path? Does that answer the question?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think we all were. I remember being a student in high school, knowing that I could have done a lot better, but was motivated for the wrong reasons. I love sports and, you know, hanging out with friends, but, you know, getting the good grades to move into the rat race wasn't what was motivating me there was that was missing and you you asked me before the podcast what was it that put you on this course and it wasn't until my late 20s but i didn't fall off a cliff in my car to get there but um Take me there because I could not tell your story the way you tell it. Can you give a quick synopsis of what happened to you and how did this accident help you to see things in a different light?
1: Of course. So I was 17. It was the sixth day of my senior year of high school. I was with my 15-year-old younger brother. Um, We were driving to school to go pick up a friend of mine. We were carpooling. I was going to drive my friend to school as well um and we were driving on a pretty curvy road um and the speed limit was 25 miles per hour but as a stupid teenager i was driving 39 miles per hour didn't think anything bad was going to happen to me kind of like the bubble i mentioned earlier i thought oh yes you know nothing bad's going to happen to me I'm, i'm so safe all that other stuff the car accidents the those kinds of things. Those are just for the movies and in the news. They'll never happen to me. Oh boy, was I wrong. So I was speeding and I go around a turn and right as I go around the turn, there's a construction truck that's driving in the middle of the road. And um, if I was driving the speed limit, I would have been able to easily push the brakes, give them a wave, say, Hey, sorry, sorry about that man. And He would go on his side of the road. I would go on my side of the road and all would be okay. But because I was speeding, um, I knew if I hit the brakes, my car is just going to scramble out of control. And odds are it's going to hit the construction truck driver, kill him on a head-on collision, kill me and kill my brother. And keep in mind, this entire decision was made within a like. 0.25 0.25 of a second. So all this was going through my head right as I went around that turn. Um and so I realized well this option of hitting the brakes and continuing to go straight is 99% guaranteed death. So I decided to turn to the right to avoid this truck. Um and to my right there was no road. So it was okay, you know what? This is better than guaranteed death. I don't know what's going to happen, but odds are better. So let's do it. So we go off the cliff because there is no road. Um, and the car flips six times going down the 80 foot cliff. Um, I was so, so lucky. Do you do you have siblings?
0: Yeah, I've got two older sisters.
1: Right. So I was so lucky that physically nothing happened to my brother. Um, of course, it was a tough experience that I don't remember it all that well i think i definitely blacked out going off i think when your brain just has that level of of intense trauma that it's experiencing it just kind of shuts down um but fortunately nothing physical happened to him besides a few scratches of course but me just sitting 1 foot away from him in the driver's seat i uh, i broke my neck my back my wrist my elbow my collarbone and uh, i was in a coma for 1 week and had what's called a traumatic brain injury and tbis are very unique Uh, each one is like a fingerprint Uh, everything from a minor concussion playing football to something like this happening is considered a tbi a traumatic brain injury so mine affected me in a very interesting way it affected my long-term memory so my doctor described it to me as, okay, Ryan, if there's two sections of your brain and I might might mumble this, but this is how I remember him explaining it to me. You have your dark matter and you have your gray matter. Your dark matter is like the storage, uh, like the USB drives. And your gray matter is like the cables that interconnect the storage. And what happened to you is your gray matter, the cables connecting the storage got crumbled, torn up, um, and ripped apart. And so... I woke up from the coma, and I forgot two things that we all learned as kids. What do you think those two things were that I forgot at age 17?
0: Well, I watched your TED Talk, so I know it's oh, okay. walking and talking.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So I, I woke up um, from the coma, was in the coma for a week, woke up, and not only had the broken back, which already made it hard to figure out how to walk, um, but had actually forgotten how to walk, which it's a really weird feeling to go back to programming your brain to take a step and like wiggle a toe and you see, okay, that neural connection works. Awesome. Okay. If I thought that, and then that wiggled that toe, if I think this and do this, it'll wiggle that toe. And if I do that, then maybe I'll be able to take a step and so forth. So I spent my, uh, long story short, spent my last year of high school, um, relearning, how to walk and then when i woke up from the coma also forgot how to speak english which was my first language and fortunately i had lived in mexico the summer before so i i woke up from the coma i couldn't speak english i could understand it perfectly which was interesting but i could only produce spanish so because my brain compensated it went to my short-term memory and i could speak in spanish which fortunately i was in northern california there's a lot of latino nurses there so they could help me and translate between me and the doctor. I was super lucky for that. Um, it was interesting because a lot of a lot of nurses would come in the room and start speaking to my parents in Spanish, and they're like, No, hablo español. It was really funny. Um, but managed, got my English back, um, got way better at Spanish. I guess there was like this new neural pathway created in my brain, which call it a blessing in disguise. Um But that's how I spent my last last year of high school. I fortunately graduated, learned how to walk, and learned how to speak English all in the same year, which wouldn't normally be in the same year. But it was a really interesting experience.
0: So when I heard all this, I was just thinking, because something that stuck out to me was your positive mindset in your recovery. So to do all of this, most 17-year-old kids would have been like, oh, you know, this happened to me. Did you have a positive mindset before this, or do you think it was, you know, the accident that changed your perspective?
1: Great question. I honestly, I think it was a combination of the both. So I was generally a more positive person uh, before, but I think the only reason or one of the main reasons besides the naturally positive attitude for the me not complaining over this entire recovery, which between one to two years it ended up taking um, was because, like I said, with the long-term memory, I woke up from the coma. It impacted my traumatic, brain. it impacted my long-term memory, um, which made it so I couldn't compare the situation I was in to anything before because I didn't remember what I had before. I just thought I was on vacation Um, to the extent that, when I was talking to my mom, a lot of times in my hospital room, I always used the word hotel as opposed to hospital, because the way I understood it was I always have people with me. I didn't know they were nurses. Um, I have people bringing me what I thought was luxury meals to me in bed, which in all the hotels I had stayed in, I never had a person at the hotel bring me food in my bed. And so it was like this entire luxury experience in my brain. Um, And so it really showed me just the power of perspective that just thinking this was a vacation and not comparing it to driving to school every day, getting good grades. I forgot about all of that. And it was just a new situation. And I think to answer your question, if it wasn't for the TBI and how it affected me, taking away my long term memory to compare it to what the situation I was currently in at that point, I don't I'm not sure if it would have I would have been as positive. So TBI, you know, it showed me a lot of different things. One of which being the power of perspective, because if, if I think you ask anybody, Hey, tomorrow, do you want to go break your entire body and your brain? You see that walking you've been doing. You want to forget that. Oh, and the talking, let's cut that out too. You want to do that tomorrow? Right. I would say 99% of people would be like, "Um, no, thank you. You're crazy. Mm -hmm. But if I had to go back to that day, and say, hey, Ryan, to like the moment before it happens, say, this is what's gonna happen if you continue doing this. If you continue driving at this speed, this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna be a damn tough two years for you during your recovery. But you're gonna learn a lot that's gonna completely alter your life path and bring it to places you never even imagined, leaving the rat race 110%. Do you wanna do this? I- I would think for a second, but I would think this sucks, but yeah, I I would, I would still do this. I wouldn't change a thing. I I appreciate it. So, so, so much. And I, even the moments after it happened was tough to appreciate it, but I knew there would be, there'd be something that came from it, that something, some good would come from it. I just didn't know what it was at the time.
0: I had no idea that was going to be your answer as to how you got there because I'm not you and I don't have a traumatic brain injury, but you asked me before we got started, you know, how did you become a podcaster? And there's like so much more to the 20, whatever years before you see me sitting here, I was a teacher in Toronto and I worked next door or lived next door to a motivational speaker. And that's how my life changed. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have what you had, but there's always some sort of emotional impact that makes change and I never thought that your change happened because you didn't you couldn't compare. And when you were talking and you were saying if if I was to ask myself would I still do it would I still have had this experience you say yes. I've often thought sitting there why did I make life so difficult for myself like moving to a new country it was like you know starting over again not having anything going from nothing and figuring out how am I going to buy eggs and cheese to survive every week? Like just starting from zero in a new country, it's not as easy as, as you think. And I think I would have said, no, forget it, but look at what you went through. You had to rebuild in a whole different way. And you say, yes, isn't that amazing to think that you would still take your situation because of where it got you do.
1: Yeah, for real. And it's, it's uh, just a different kind of appreciation because about two months out of the hospital, when I was doing the rehabilitation and I, had, I was doing physical therapy and those kinds of things to learn to walk, um, this was just such a big piece of information my therapist just threw upon me that I had no idea about until that point. And she said, Ryan um, do you know what your C7 vertebrae is? I said, I got no idea. I don't even know my vertebrae numbers. I know I broke a bunch of them, but I don't know the numbers. Um, she said, well, your C7 vertebrae, the thick, big one at the base of your neck, that when you reach your arm back at the base of your neck, you can always feel it. If that was one millimeter, like a millimeter is the width of your pinky nail. If that was one millimeter more compressed, you'd be paralyzed from the neck down. So she told me that. And it, it just makes even the most difficult experiences. Just it, the thought comes to my head. Wow, Ryan, this sucks right now. But hey, at least you it can could walk. Have been you. Yeah. <laughs> it at least you're not sure. paralyzed in a bed or a wheelchair, mm-hmm. which some people are, and they can make really positive things out of it. And I'm sure I would have as well. But just looking at the different lives that that I have, that I could have had. Yeah. Couldn't have had it just brings an entirely different sensation of appreciation for just everything in my life that I, I have today.
0: Wow. This is a crazy story. It's amazing. So, what did you know about your brain before this accident? Like, you know, I often say on this podcast, <laughs> no one ever asked me in my 20s, you know, what are you doing for your brain health, Andrea? It was all like, you know, what goals are you setting? What are you doing? <laughs> but no one talked about the brain. And here you've referenced moving your toe to the functioning of your brain. Where did you get that from? And what do you know now about your brain?
1: Right, great question. So I didn't really think anything of it. Um, I think the most extent I had done research on the brain at that point, I took AP biology one year, but I didn't pay a ton of attention in that class. Um, but I think a lot of it came from doing language learning and learning Spanish. Like I lived in Mexico that two months that over that summer, that, that year before this accident happened. And that in those two months, I got to learn Spanish at such a higher level and more rapid level than class that I got to skip an entire year of high school Spanish class just because of that. And so that was really what got me thinking of oh how does language learning integrate with the brain and those kinds of things but obviously my knowledge of the brain you know when you have a tbi you got to figure some stuff out learn some things and um that's really where I just i started paying attention to more things like that listening to um listening to certain podcasts and learning from these speakers talk about the brain
0: After recording, Ryan let me know that he had many influencers that he's learned from, but he learned the most from A.J. Osborne, who five years ago was told he was paralyzed from the head down, and they said he'd never walk again. A.J. not only relearned how to walk again, but his company now earns over $300 in real estate, and he also teaches others now how to achieve financial freedom. Ryan also learned from memory and executive coach Jim Quick, the author of the book Limitless.
1: Um, Everything down to like even managing your programming, your dopamine levels to make it so you have optimal motivation on certain tasks and not other tasks, right? Like I would have never gone down that path of researching the brain like in the way I did if it wasn't for this. But this definitely forced me to figure some stuff out about the brain and seeing my brain on, you know, MRIs and and CAT scans and all these kinds of things. They, you know, started to ask certain questions. Oh, what's this part of the brain? What is this part of the brain? Why, why is this, this color, but this is this color? What's the difference? And just really thrown into the medical field, if we can put it that way. Um, Definitely made me never want to work in medicine. That's for sure. Um, but I learned I learned a bunch that's for sure because I was forced to
0: yeah I think it's so important and that's one of the reasons why I launched this podcast focusing on trying to make this simple I don't have a background in neuroscience I'm not a neuroscientist I'm a former teacher and mm-hmm. Then I started doing work in schools, and a lot of the teachers were going this way. And so they're like, you know, how can you change your programs so that kids can understand how their brain works? And so that's how I started being interested in the brain. And then it becomes like, wow, fascinating when you start learning all the things about the brain and what it can do. So from here, how did you create this new path where you went with your heart, brain and gut instinct while you were recovering to create your business? Like, where did that
1: come from? Right. So it started with the fact that I left school. I was homeschooled. And like I mentioned before, I was very, before this, I was very, Caught in the rat race, um, getting that optimal nine to five that makes you $100,000 a year or whatever the number, the magical number was in the rat race. And what I think really got me understanding okay, it's okay to leave the system. This system that you got so used to was I went in homeschool and I was still okay. I didn't get straight A's my, my senior year of high school. And that was okay. Like the world didn't end. Like I thought it would. Um, And that might, that might've been a pressure internally. That might've been from um, parents that might've been from a combination of things, the culture of the school I went to. um, But it was leaving the system and being okay. Not the end of the world that really just showed me, Hey, you can step outside this rat race. You can step outside this system you've grown so accustomed to and it's not actually all that bad out there. You're gonna be okay. Um, and so that was what really got me started. Then it, I did a gap year in Madrid, Spain, and I learned so much in that that gap year. I got um, fluent in Spanish, lived with the host family, took four hours of class every day. I was traveling; it was so cheap. Um, after working as a cashier um, at a, like a bakery cafeteria, I saved up some money to be able to travel around Europe and. Um, just learned so much that year, and then got back, um, and I started reading, but not fiction books. I started reading more nonfiction books, um, and the first nonfiction book I read um, after I got back from Madrid, um, I was working as a cashier that summer to save up more money for the following year, and after work I would go go back home and I would read, and this book was The Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and I didn't really understand it, but because I was, I was 18 at the time. um, But it got me thinking, it really got me thinking. And ironically, it was when I was, my dad was driving me to the um, capital of California from the Bay area to Sacramento to get the, what's called the apostille of Hague, which is it's like the legal notoriety for your documents, Um, the notary. And we were on the drive there and I, this 18 year old me. I asked my dad, Hey, I'm reading this book. She's talking about a high income skill. What is some high income knowledge or a high income skill that you think I have? I speak Spanish now, but a lot of people speak Spanish all over the world. That's not really a special skill. He said, well, what you're doing right now, you're getting the student visa. You did it once. Now you're going to university in Madrid. You're going to do it a few more times. I said, oh, interesting. And then I thought, wow, the majority of American students that study abroad only do it for one semester, whereas I'm going to be doing it, I did it for the gap year, and then it was going to be um, a few more years for university after that. And I thought, oh, wow, okay. This was such a confusing process. Why was there nothing to make it more clear for me? And that was where the first company I started, Study Abroad Student, was born. Um, It was a student visa course guide that explained how to get the actual documents that the consulate told you you had to get because they told you all the documents you had to get. Uh, but if you weren't working with a lawyer, you had to figure out how to get those by uh, kind of a, a Google adventure, just Google searching. Hey, how do I get this document, that document, etc." cetera? Um, and that was the first company I started. And I, after reading Tim Ferriss's book, I thought, oh, I'm going to make a website and that'll make me a millionaire people will buy what i'm selling and that's it. If you build it they will come. Um was not true. I did and it was not um you know, it was just my first taste of entrepreneurship and I'm it was rough but I'm glad that i did it. Um then that summer i visited a friend down in Ecuador who's um he's from Ecuador and he was a also a student entrepreneur at the time and he said, "Oh, where how's the Instagram account for your your company? I see you have a website." Um Instagram account? That's so cringe, bro. I, I, I was so against Instagram at that point. It was uh, whatever like deep internal reason of like, no, I don't like to, to brag. I don't like to show off. I, I just want to be in my privacy. There's no way I'm going to make an Instagram account. That's just so gross. He's like, well, if you do it, you're going to get a lot more visitors on your website than the system you have in place right now. And I thought, really? He showed me his and the Instagram account he had made for his company, which was um, it was like a drone photography company for tourists. So uh, normally, American tourists would come down and visit Ecuador, and he would do a drone recording of their their vacation. Um, and that that's what really got me started. Um, I came back to Madrid, and spent about a year working on that business. Um, I was very distracted with school, with partying, with typical 19-year-old distractions. Um, Then that led me to find another student entrepreneur that was having similar problems. He, He was also distracted, but he also wanted to build his company. And we both realized, wait, if we were to live together, why don't we do that? And we get some other student entrepreneurs that are also having this same distraction uh, that are feeling that fear of missing out to go out and party on a Friday night, but also have their business and their sales calls that they have to do to grow their business. What system can we make to make other student entrepreneurs not feel this like they're missing out on something on the Friday nights when they would want to go out, but they also? love the future they're building with their business. Why don't we put together a a co-living incubator? And so that's what we did. Um, And long story short, we had incredible results there um, for not just me and him and the other students living there. It was really cool because it was, um, there was four of us the first year and we were all from different countries, which was super interesting. It was me from the U.S. Um, another from Spain, another from France and another from Dubai. And so we all had a very similar, similar desire. Um, and we just got together and we just kept each other accountable, um, through a whole string of methods that we did that I can, I can dive into, um, at another time, but Manu got a, an internship, um, Manu is the one from France he got his dream internship for Formula One, which is an international car racing company. Um, And from that internship, he ended up getting his his job confirmed for once he finishes university. And that was crazy because it was another example that proved, wait, not following the rat race, the university says when you get straight A's for four years, you'll get a good job, that pays well. But he's a freshman, he's 18 years old. We helped him. And he got his dream job confirmed before he even finished his freshman year of college. What, it, what is this? Have we been like, have we been lied to or what's the way the system works? Or can we make it how we wanna make it? And so we, uh, we thought, oh, maybe we can help other college students get their dream internships the same way I did and Manu did. Um, and we went from there and started helping other college students get their dream internships through what we were figuring out. And so it, that was really um, where it started getting going and um, went back to the U.S. This, all this was happening during during COVID. And so I went back to the U.S. and uh, call it tough love. But, um, well, when I was doing study abroad student and working on that company, I pivoted it after doing an internship for um, Rob Dow, who's the CEO or founder slash host of the Mindset Mentor podcast, which absolutely changed my life. His, uh, him as a mentor for that eight month, those eight months, um, him and his girlfriend, Lauren, it was totally life-changing and I, I am forever in debt to them and really appreciate the mentorship that they gave me. Um, I pivoted this, the, the student visa company into a coaching company for students that, only the 1% of students that study abroad that wanna do it for personal development. Normally it's a party or a semester off or a vacation, Um, but for those, that 1%, I wanted to help them and coach them. And so Rob taught me how to coach and build a coaching business and that pivoted. And I actually started getting clients and making a little bit of money. Um, so the reason I mentioned that is because that while doing a college, um, education at the same time, it was building a business, taking sales calls, sending Instagram messages to, you know, secure calls, kind of doing SDR stuff as well as like appointments that are stuffed, sales calls, discovery calls, closing calls, and providing the service. Um, so fast forward two years, once I went back home after COVID, um, I was back home at my, my parents' place and my mom told me, Hey Ryan, um, you got to get a job or we're going to kick you out. You, this was in September and she said, by November 22nd, you gotta get a job or we're not gonna let you live here. And it was, it was good motivation. And so applied to all those jobs. Then January 6th came around and I had a, um, a, a call with, um, with another, another company that was a startup um, and it was just getting started and this was Dyna. Um She said, hey, hey Ryan, I'm, I'm starting this company. Um, and I had this call with her. I said, oh, interesting. Well, can you tell me about it? And I thought, okay, you know, this is like I was 21 at the time. It was a huge risk. Like startups, they're really, really risky, you know. Um, but I thought, okay, I'm working four jobs at the same time. If I take this opportunity, I'm 21 years old. When am I ever going to be able to take a risk like this again? I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids. So I thought, why not just do this? And so I did um, started working with Dyna and, um, building this company from the ground up. Um, and we were building a team and we, we could not have done this without the team that we built, like as a team, that was our secret to getting it to where we got it to. Uh, but the company I'm referring to right now is digital prodigy. Um, and from coming on there, you know, getting that call from Dinah, the beginning of January, um, Seven months later, bringing it from zero dollars in revenue to seven figures in seven months, it was, it was crazy. It was really crazy. And I think a lot of the experience that I had from just getting outside the system is what trained me to have those skills to take a company from nothing to where it was at, um, at, at the end of July. Um, but the team, that that was our our. Call it our trick our our secret is we got we built a really good team um and i, I cannot can't take full credit for it o- obviously not it was 100 it was the team
0: so i picked up so much from that
1: but yes sorry about that i just give you a huge tangent there
0: no but let's just think and bring this back to you know the rat race or you know what what you were thinking you know you're you're going to school and you're supposed to get this job And then imagine that you did get the job, right? You work for a company, you're doing your due diligence at the company. It's the only company, you know, all your friends are there, you know, you've got your groove and then suddenly you're laid off from this company and you've got nothing. So you kind of showed the fact that you had to go out and, and figure something out on your own. The best way to predict your future is to create it. Some Mm -hmm. people get thrown out of, you know, where they are, you know, they get downsized and they're like lost with what do I do? And it's just an amazing perspective when you're not in it, right. When you're outside of it and you're working in the company and you're looking around at your friend doing this in another part of the world, isn't there so much opportunity that you see, right. When you're outside of it, you see Mm -hmm. so much, right. You're like, We could do this in this country and then reach out to Dubai. But when you're in it and you get kicked out of wherever you are, you only see your tiny little world. And I just remember like when you were talking, I remember when I left the corporate world and I had my first day of being an entrepreneur. I went hiking. I went on the hiking trails. And I remember bawling my eyes out and calling my entrepreneur friend Patty and going, Patty, what do I do? It's day one. It's like, I've got nothing going on. And she's like, you'll figure this out. Look around at all the opportunity. And I'm like looking around going, it's pretty quiet here, there's nothing going on. But then I learned from each of the people along the way to look for opportunity. And I saw these cactuses along the trail and there were like thousands of them. And I'm like, imagine each cactus, it's like an opportunity. And so then my mindset started to change and my world expanded. And, but it's such a process to get to where you were because there's a lot more than just like, oh, you know, we, we created this thing. And then it was, you know, we created, and I had to do the math because I'm not like a strong math person, but seven figures, that's a million, right?
1: Yep, that's correct. Yeah.
0: So I had to do, I had to write it out <laughs> beforehand because I'm like, wait, what is seven figures? So that's a million dollars to go from zero to a million is huge. Yeah. So nothing to something that's huge. There's so much more involved there, which, uh, which I'm sure that you could have your own coaching consulting company on how to do that. Go from. Uh, nothing to a million or zero to seven figures. There's so much that you can do with what you said.
1: Right. You definitely learn a lot through these kinds of experiences. I, I totally agree. And I think what you, you mentioned on like, they want, it's scary. It's really scary. Cause you've been coddled or, you know, you had that corporate bubble or you had whether it's parents taking care of you, but you get to that moment where you're like, uh, I'm alone. Like, I got to figure this out. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do what to do. And it's, um, you know, that's that's the start of the entrepreneurial journey. And it's really, there can be some really high highs, some really low lows. And I I always talk to um, friends that, that are back at university and we ask them, well, Ryan, like, isn't that so cool? And I, some mentors I've talked to, they're saying, yeah, entrepreneurship these days is so, so hyped up. It's seen as this really cool thing. Um, it's not for everyone. It's definitely not for everyone. You got to be very, um, risk tolerant and be able to put in the work in times that maybe you don't want to work. Um, and it's, it's, there's some times that are really, really fun and you have awesome freedom and to do what you want to do, where you want to do it, with who you want to do it. But, you know, it's from the discipline that, freedom comes from the structure that you build for yourself. Um, And without that, it's, it's, uh, it's tough, but there's a lot of personal development that comes with it. And I was talking to Dinah the other day and she was, she was telling me, Ryan, like the moment from the moment that this, this company started, it's like the amount of personal development that I've had to do to get to where I needed to get to is I never even realized this. And I was like, yeah, Personal development you need to do if you're an entrepreneur, starting your own companies, um, working in that, that field is, is something you got to have. Because without, without your mind and your, your consciousness and where you're at, it's, it's very, very tempting to give up and be like, all right, that, it's too hard. I'm done. Um, instead of, okay, how can I figure out a way to get this done? Who do I know that can help me with this? Um, so definitely not for everyone, but it can be really, really fruitful once you get in your groove.
0: Right. And what I loved you, something that you said was before you have your family and your kids. So it took me back to, before I had kids, my husband and I sold real estate in the middle of the night in Dubai. Wow. And you know, we, we both had corporate jobs, but we'd wake up at midnight and we he had a friend that was doing real estate in Dubai and he's like, do you guys want to sell for me? We were already doing sales in the day. I'm like, well, what do I need to learn? And so we just made up these binders of the properties. And this was before the crash, but it was fun. It was like, you know, we'd wake up and we'd be like, who wants to, you know, get a unit in Ajman Towers and a beachfront property. And then we're looking at, you know, the sports center and how cool that was. But there's no way I could do this now with kids. But it was like, there's so much more you could do before you have your family, before you get settled. That. That Are those times that you're going to look back on when you got your kids and you're married and you're like, oh, remember we did this and, and you know, those, those opportunities really expand your mind, which is why I wanted to talk to you. I was like, look at what you've done. In the world, you know, it just would open up anybody's mind that, you know, they've maybe they've got a kid that's come out of college, and they're starting their first job, and they're trying and they're not getting anywhere. What kind of advice would you say to like a young person? Motivated? A young
1: person in, in what situ- What kind of young person? Because there's a lot of different kinds of young, exactly. young people.
0: Exactly. Let's just say someone's just finished university, they've got their degree, and they're trying to get a job. Um, you know, you said you did a few things for like, just to get going, you know, a few things for like a little amount of money. I remember when I worked for the speaker, it was for 10 bucks an hour. I left my teaching job to go work for someone for 10 bucks an hour. Couldn't do this with a family, but when you're young, you can make those small steps. So what kinds of things would you tell a young person to kind of get them seeing the opportunity in the world like you did?
1: Right, uh, I would say if I could, I would talk to them right when they're graduating high school uh, at age 18, as opposed to when they're, when they're graduating or finishing college. Um, and i would tell them this, that the, the college degree um, and good grades in college, they're from an employer's perspective that is looking to hire, they're not something that really differentiates you anymore and when an employer is looking to hire you they want to see your experience and your skills and talking to a lot of college students they, they've they been telling me Ryan these, these companies are asking me for three years of experience but I'm just finishing and just going into the work industry how can I get that um, and so my advice to a 18 year old would be just work for free. When you're 18, any opportunities that you can get your hands on to work for free, um, not a lot of people will turn down free labor. And it's through that first internship you do for for free, you learn so, so, so much. Um, And then you do another, and then another, and then another, um, till the point that you have enough experience where you can start getting even contract gigs, where they'll pay you for the work you do, whether that's Facebook marketing, or if you have another high income skill, maybe sales, um, maybe you, you code, maybe you're looking into um, decentralization software and and building that, whatever the, the high income skill you're learning is whatever you've learned in these internships. um, Once you get that experience, then after let's say you're, by the time you're 20, 21, 22, you have all this experience. Um, and the beauty of it is, you know, what you like at that point, because you were able to try so many different things. I got to do internships in artificial intelligence, commercial real estate, coaching, um, sales, marketing, and it didn't make a lot of money at all. But when you're, when you're that age, you don't really need to make a lot of money. Um, so doing internships, no matter how much you get paid, to figure out what you like, get the experience. So when you start needing money for yourself, you wanna be financially independent, you have that three or four years of work experience in different sectors that you can use as a differentiating factor to have that that leg up when you're looking for employment um, when you're 22 or after graduation, whenever that is for you.
0: That's good advice for sure. So what is your company now? Like if someone's listening to this and they go to your website, digital prodigy, what would somebody, what would be your ideal person to work with through digital prodigy and how can they get started with?
1: For sure. So um, we have an awesome team, like I said before. Um, And we do three kinds of, of apps and are helping a few different kinds of people. So breaking that down, we got Web3 and blockchain apps. That's our highest ticket. We got native apps where we're building everything from scratch and then we have SaaS apps. Um, native apps, um, those are someone that has an app idea that for example, we had a woman that came to us and she had a friend who had just took an Uber, went missing for a week and ended up getting murdered. And came to us and said hey guys i want to build an all-female rideshare app so we said okay we got this we built the app she got the mvp went on the news in chicago and got an investor the next day doesn't have to work another day in her life so that's the native Um, the SaaS, the software as a service apps tend to be for um, business owners coaches speakers someone that has something that's already going maybe podcasters that they just want an app to solve a problem within their business that they currently have, whether that's uh, for speakers, not being able to capture that attention after they speak and take the audience and bring, it, bring them into a, call it a funnel, an app funnel. Um, so to answer your question, we help entrepreneurs, small to medium business owners, coaches, speakers, authors, um, and then people that have an app idea. But like me, a few years ago, no idea how to code. I say, Hey, I got this awesome app idea. Kind of like, like Kim who said, Hey guys, I, I have this problem and I want this app made. I don't know what to do. Um, can you guys help me? And, um, Dinah was, um, our CEO. She was building apps for the past 10 years. And what she learned through that experience was a lot of the companies she was working with, um, didn't help her get users on the app. And so that's why one one thing that we are very proud of at Digital Prodigy, what we do is um, ASO, which is like SEO, search engine optimization, but for the app store, app store optimization is what that stands for. Um, and that's essentially setting your app up. So you're getting users, you're getting users that you can easily monetize and do whatever you want with um, within your app. So that's, that's who we help is the people that have this app idea are looking to solve a problem with their business and getting users on their app once it's built. And we, we really value the life, lifelong relationship with, with these founders we work with, not transactional relationships, much more of long-term transformational relationships.
0: Well, what's cool with your app idea is that way back when, when I was starting my company and trying to figure out how to code, I worked with a high school student, you know, he was out of Chicago, and I had to wait for him to finish class. And he was working with all the motivational speakers on getting their website and getting them to get their stuff online. And I watched him do this. And he was like, wait, wait, I I can't talk to you right now. I'm like, why not? And He's like, because I'm in high school, you got to wait till I finish class. Mm -hmm. And it was just crazy that he had all this knowledge and he was working with Les Brown, the speaker. And Uh, and then, so, so like all these guys knew that the world was changing online, but you know, they're all old guys that had no idea how to do this online stuff. So I think this is such a cool niche for you to have figured out, you know, like here's a need and you know, you can do it three ways and then figure out who your people are and just funnel them to which app is going to be the best fit for them. I think it's brilliant.
1: Right. Thank you. And it, it's uh, I think you hit on a great point when you mentioned that, that high school that that work with you is um, right now, mobile apps are in this, this interesting place uh, where websites were in the late nineties, 1990s, where half of businesses. Yeah, sure. I, I'll make a website for the internet. Sounds cool. The other half, the internet website. What? You're stupid. I'm never going to need the website. The internet's just a fad. It's in a very similar place right now. Um, so it's a really cool place to be in. It
0: Most is. Definitely
1: be able to help those business professionals have a place on the app store. Um, there's a hundred, hundred million people downloading apps every day in the, the last quarter of 2021. How many hours do you think were spent on mobile apps worldwide? in that three month quarter.
0: I don't know. I couldn't even guess me and my great math skills, hundred thousand.
1: 53 million years.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Three months globally were spent on mobile apps and that's, um, Google play store and the app store. So after hearing these statistics, it was, it was just like, wow, okay, this is where I can focus. I can help people that I like to help and solve the problems they're solving, but just leverage our tech expertise to 10 X the amount of people they're helping the way they're helping them. Um, and it's, it's just a really, really cool place to be working in. Like last night I was talking to, um, a woman that she, she had a very raspy voice and I asked her, Hey, Hey, Karen, what's, what's going on here. Are you okay? If your voice is hurting, you don't need to talk. Um, and she's an author and wrote a book about um, domestic abuse because her partner 40 years ago, Um, cut her vocal cords and smashed her windpipe. And she wrote a book about it to help other people with domestic violence. And she was saying, "Ryan, it's my life mission to help as many people as possible with this. Um, My book is not getting out there. Can you please make an app to expand that audience and help so many more people? Because unfortunately, or fortunately, a lot more people are likely to look at an app these days, as opposed to opening a book and reading it. Um, So like, being able to help her help all those other people and achieve her life's mission through our technology expertise. It was, it was honestly like magical and like moments like that are, you know, why, why I'm in this business, why we're doing this kind of thing is we call it positive disruption because technology, honestly, it can be used for bad, obviously. Um, but it can also be used for good. Like what we did with just her rideshare. Um, like this conversation I had with Karen last night, it was Karen Connell. Um, Another one we did is with a group of, this was so cool. This is a group of parents that all four of them have had their children abducted and missing. And um, they came to us, they were working on uh, solving this problem because the Amber Alert, the system is just, it's a very bureaucratic very slow system to get your child when they're abducted on an Amber Alert. And so they came to us to build this technology to leverage technology to find more missing children and it's like that's the cool stuff that we can use technology to do um and it's so cool because now they have their own hooked uh show on hulu called uh, missing and it's um, really cool to just build this technology that can get word out way way faster than an amber alert can to find missing children like these things are really cool things we're doing and it's um I I can't take credit for that term, positive disruption, because Diana came up with that term. Um, But it's it's really cool to be doing this with this knowledge and and technology and this expertise that we have to be able to help people do what they want to do just on a bigger, greater scale.
0: Well, I hope that people see your website and how passionate you are. And even thinking back that this whole thing wouldn't be in existence for you if you hadn't gone off that 80 foot cliff like just think back that this is you know your path but there's so much more behind it i want to thank you so much for your time ideas and inspiration today ryan and i'd love to follow you and see where you're going to end up in 10 years i think the sky's the limit i'm so excited for what you're building thank you so much
1: Thank you, Andrea. And, and it's just the opportunity to, to talk on your platform is fantastic. And I'm, I'm glad that, that that we were able to have this conversation. I hope hope it is fruitful for people that are listening, that maybe if, are having to make a decision. Is entrepreneurship worth it? Um, can I do this? Do I not do it? Is it worth experimenting? Do I leave the rat race? Maybe maybe people are not wanting to do that, just like at one point I wasn't. Um, so, hopefully, you can just get get some people thinking about other options that are out there and seeing what's right and best for them.
0: And you've given hope, which is what everyone needs today. Thank you so much for this message. Some final thoughts at the end of this episode. I'm sure you could see I was inspired by Ryan and his vision as a young entrepreneur. I wish we all could see the vast amount of opportunity in the world and not get bogged down with doubts and fears when working on something new or while forging a new path where no one's gone before you. While there are times that entrepreneurship or even leadership can be lonely, Ryan gives many tips for how he found inspiration from those around him. If I was still running the Teen Performance Magazine today, I would have grabbed Ryan Brady for an interview And although that business idea is long gone today, the soft spot I have in my heart for young people who can take the difficult path in life, choosing challenge over fear, is what keeps me moving forward. If you know anyone looking at creating a mobile app, I do hope you'll look at his company, Digital Prodigy, as a solution. I'll see you next week as we continue to use neuroscience to explore and take our results to new heights.